Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Live Through Jesus podcast with Courtney Gilmore. On this episode, we will talk about complaining and what to do when you're not happy with your circumstances. Also, are we influenced by the world or do we influence the world? And is Christianity boring and restrictive or does it offer freedom and contentment that the world cannot? Numbers 11, 1 through 9, all verses are read from the New King James Version. Quickly before we get started, if you're new to Live Through Jesus, make sure you go to livethroughjesus.com and sign up to receive your free five-week Bible study over Abraham. There you'll also find blog posts that coincide with the teachings on this podcast and social media links, which is another way to keep in touch throughout the week. Okay, let's get started. On the last episode, the Israelites left Mount Sinai and set out for the Promised Land. And we talked about exactly how they traveled and how God was the one that had instructed them on which tribes to go first and how to encamp and all of those types of things. And then also how God was with them and God wants to be with us and how God used them to show himself to the world just as he does with us. That was in Numbers chapter 10. And then we skipped chapter 11 and we're going to do part of it today. And we went on to chapter 12 of Numbers and talked about how Miriam and Aaron were jealous of Moses and his leadership and how they spoke against him and how their self-righteousness got them into trouble with God. And then also how Moses had mercy on them and prayed for them And we just discussed how we should also do the same. So if you missed that episode, you might want to go back and listen to it because it was the beginning of the Israelites' journey towards the promised land. Now today, as I said, we're going to begin reading in Numbers 11. We're only going to cover the first nine verses. Chapter 11 is going to take us three lessons because there's a lot of information in this chapter and a lot of things that we can learn from it, and I don't want us to rush over it. And so I'll read the first nine verses of Numbers 11 now. It says, Now when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, for the Lord heard it, and his anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some in the outskirts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and when Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire was quenched. So he called the name of the place Taborah, because the fire of the Lord had burned among them. Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish that we ate freely in Egypt, and the cucumbers, and the melons, and the leeks, and the onions, and the garlic. But now our whole being is dried up. There is nothing at all except for this manna before our eyes. Now the manna was like coriander seed, and its color was like the color of bedellium. The people went about and gathered it, ground it on millstones, and beat it in the mortar, cooked it in pans, and made cakes of it. And its taste was like the taste of a pastry prepared with oil. And when the dew fell on the camp in the night, the manna fell on it. So... 
towards the end of their time in Sinai, the Israelites seemed really comfortable and they were being very obedient. But after only a few days of traveling, they started complaining again. And this discontentment began with the Egyptians that had joined them during the Exodus. And that is what the verse means when it talks about the mixed multitude. It says it began with the mixed multitude. But then their attitudes quickly spread to all of the Israelites. And so even though these people were not of the Lord, they persuaded those who were. The Israelites were supposed to be influencing the Egyptians for the Lord, but instead they were allowing those Egyptians to influence them against God. And so that's the first lesson that we want to learn from this chapter today. Do others see the goodness of God in us? And does it make them desire him? Or do we let them entice us with the things of this world? Do we listen and entertain the things that other people say more than we should? So I want to read you several verses on this topic and we'll discuss a couple of them because I want you to see that we're supposed to be influencing them. They are not supposed to be influencing us. And also... What happens when we just begin to listen to them? If you notice, that's what happened with these Israelites. They just started to listen to the Egyptians just a little too much. And then they began to think like them and eventually fall into sin with them. So the first one is in Romans 12, 2. And it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So as Christians, we are called to transform ourselves by renewing our minds to the things that are good and acceptable to God. It's always going to be a fight. Are we going to conform to this world? Are we going to listen to what this world says? And are we going to conform to that? Or are we going to say, I hear what they're saying, and I am going to change my mind to tell myself what God says and not what the world is saying. Am I going to make sure that I'm renewing my mind continuously with thoughts that would be pleasing to God, thoughts that would tell me what God would want instead of thoughts that the world is saying. And so every time the world has thoughts that are normally worldly thoughts, as soon as those things come into our head, then what we want to do is renew our mind with godly thoughts. That's our first step to a different action is a different thought. Now, the next one is 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty three, And it says, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. And so bad company corrupts good character. It says, do not be deceived about that. Do not tell yourself that you can keep company with bad people and your character will not be corrupted. Do not tell yourself that you can hang out with people that are doing wrong things and that your good habits won't be corrupted. They won't be changed. Even though these Egyptians were not evil people because they did follow the Israelites buying into their entire religion, they still had their own patterns of living that they were used to. They had been raised in that Egyptian culture 
And so they were having a hard time, you know, transitioning from the worldly things to the godly things. So by hanging out with these people and listening to what they had to say, the Israelites were also corrupted and also began to complain against God for not giving them the food and things that they wanted. So we also have to be aware of that. Do not allow yourself to be deceived and think that you can hang out with people that are doing bad things and you're still going to be good. It will be very, very difficult. The only possible way to do that is to be more of an influence on them than they are on you. And that is still very hard. So you have to be very, very strong in your faith in order to do that. And those can't be your closest friends, the people that you spend all of your time with. Because you need to surround yourself with godly people that have good habits so that when you are around the people that are doing the wrong things, you are strong enough and it's infrequent enough that you're not having to constantly fight against the world. Your normal is being around people that are trying to do the things that God wants them to do. Now, Philippians 2, 14 and 15 says, Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God, without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. So this talks about us influencing others, right? Revealing things to others, shining as a light to the world. How do we do that? It says we do that by not complaining and disputing. So if the people would have not only not joined in in the complaining and the disputing, but they would have placed themselves in a complete contrast to that, showing themselves to completely trust God and be thankful for just being out of their slavery, then they would have been a light to those around them and they would have influenced the Egyptians more than the Egyptians influenced them. But they didn't do that. It says that if you do all things without complaining and disputing, you will become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in a crooked and perverse generation. Those words don't quite mean what we think, that we're like perfect. What it's saying is, is that you won't be charged with that fault. You won't be able to be blamed in the complaining and the disputing along with the rest of the people. And so you'll be able to be in the middle of this crooked and perverse generation You'll be in the midst of people that are twisting things around the opposite of the way that God is wanting and not staying on the straight path. And you'll be able to do that. You'll be able to be truth and walk the straight way if you will keep yourself from complaining and disputing and place yourself as a contrast to that. So that's what they should have done. When they were faced with those people complaining, then they should have presented the opposite view. And that's also what we need to do when we are around people that are doing things that are against God, as opposed to joining in with them or even keeping silent, we need to present the opposite view. Not saying, oh, y'all shouldn't complain. Not like that. Not rebuking other people, but showing the different side of it, the side that would please God by saying, yeah, I am frustrated with all of the manna also, but God said he's bringing us into a land that's flowing with milk and honey and we're on our way to it and we just got to hang out a little bit longer and at least we're not in Egypt enslaved right now. You know, that's what I'm trying to tell myself 
because I'm also having a hard time with it, but I know that that's not what would make God happy. So I'm trying to renew my mind to change my thoughts. Okay, two more. Colossians 2, 4 through 10 says, Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of this world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. So he's saying, do not allow people in this world to deceive you with persuasive words. Don't let them tell you things that you know are contrary to what God says. Don't fall for it. If you've received Jesus, then act like him. Ground yourself and build yourself up in him, reminding yourself all of the things that you've been taught so that people won't deceive you through philosophy and empty deceit. And all of the traditions of men and the basic principles of this world. Everything that goes completely contrary to God. Don't let them tell you that you're lacking in some way. Because in God is all the fullness and you are totally complete by just having him. And so these people were being persuaded by the things of this world. And this verse is saying... In order to not do that, you need to ground yourself in God and remind yourself of the things that he has told you so that you're not deceived. And then the last one, James 4, 4, adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Wow. So this puts the world in complete contrast with God. And so it says, do you want to join the world and do the things that the world does? Or do you want to join God and do the things that he does? Each one of our actions are placing us on one side or the other. And so don't allow yourself to fall for the things of this world and listen to the things that the world tells you and believe that those things are true or just cave into those things. Follow God. Stay in him. Okay, so that's what scripture tells us about listening to what the world says as opposed to what God says. And that's what the Israelites were doing. They were listening to the Egyptians talk about all the different kinds of food that they ate freely in Egypt. And then they grew discontent with the monotony of the manna that God had provided every day for the last 13 months. See, this started right when they left Egypt. God fed them with the manna and they've been in the desert this entire time. So for 13 months, they've been eating this manna. So no wonder, right? No wonder they are bored with it. But again, he's about to bring them into the land of milk and honey. So that's what they really need to be focusing on. And so this leads us to one more thing that we can learn from this passage for ourselves is, do we ever look at what God has given to us and think, that's boring. This Christian life seems too mundane. 
Do we look at the world and think, ah, oh, that has so much variety and excitement and following all these rules and doing all the things that God wants me to do is just so boring. That's something that we hear oftentimes, right? Especially people that don't want to follow God because they say it's just such a boring life. You have to follow all those rules and everything. Well, we know that there's so much goodness in following the laws of the Lord. We know that there's a better future that awaits us. We know that the things that look wonderful to the world really aren't all that wonderful. For instance, they're talking about how the Egyptian food didn't cost them anything. And somehow they forgot the forced labor that provided them that free food made it not free, right? They were working for that food. So they're like, oh, yeah, we could just get all this food anytime we wanted. Well, yeah, but you were working as slaves for that food. They kind of forgot that part, right? On the other hand, the food that God provided them really was truly free. It was given to them through his grace, not their works. They didn't have to do anything to receive this. It was just there in the morning when they woke up and they could just go gather it and eat it. But instead, they wanted variety and choices, you see. And so we do this too. We romanticize our old life of sin sometimes. And we think of it as liberty, but we completely discount how badly it enslaved us. Why do we so quickly forget the cost, right? That's what they were doing. They weren't counting the cost of that food. If they would have thought about that just a minute, they would have realized, you know, I would rather have one tasty bit of food and freedom and no hard work to get it, as opposed to being a slave to these people and treated badly. But yes, having more variety in my food. And so when we don't recognize the cost of our old life, of our sinful life, of what we left, then that's when we don't appreciate it. So we have to remind ourselves, see? And if the Israelites would have reminded the Egyptians, yeah, maybe it was great for you, but it wasn't so great for us. We were slaves for that food. Now God's given this to us just because he loves us. But they didn't do that. And often we don't either. So I'm going to read a couple of verses pertaining to that. The first one is in 1 Corinthians 2.12, and it says, Now we have received, not the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. When we really connect our spirit with his, when we remind ourselves of the spiritual things, we realize all of the things that God has freely given to us and how much the world really enslaves us. And then this next verse really talks about that slavery. It's in 1 Timothy 6, 6 to 10. And it says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. Having food and clothing, with these we should be content. But those that desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Loving money pierces them through with many sorrows. Striving for the things of this world enslaves us. 
We're enslaved to our jobs to get more money, to get more things when we're not content with what we have. So obeying God and being content with that life, like we talked about before, the other part where they're not, right, where we think it's boring and a bunch of rules. No, following those rules and being content with that is great gain. The things that we have here will not last in eternity. That's what he's saying is that you brought nothing into this world and you can't take anything out of this world. Be content with the needs that you have in this world and don't strive for other things because those things are going to enslave you. Those that desire to be rich fall into temptation and it's a snare to them. It's as if they've been trapped and these harmful desires drown us in destruction. They're overwhelming and they don't help us in the long run. So we don't want to be like those people where we think, oh, all that God is giving me and all that he offers me is just such a boring, mundane life. We have to say, no, what God gives us comes freely and what the world offers only serves to enslave us, only serves to overwhelm us, only serves to make us feel like we're drowning like we're dying, like we can't make it, it will pierce us through with many sorrows. It's a trap. That's what this is saying. So don't fall into the trap of thinking that what God gives you isn't enough. That's the second lesson that we need to learn from this passage. Okay, and so then when God heard them complaining, he takes it personally, right? He's like, how do you have the audacity to say that you prefer slavery the slavery of your old life in Egypt to the independence of this new life that I've given you. They had no gratitude at all for what he was giving them. And God was angry with that. And so he set fire to the edges of their camp. Luckily, they understood what was going on and that this was the fire that came from the wrath of God. And they quickly responded to his warning and they cried out to him and he had mercy on them and stopped the fire. But he takes it personally when we complain, when we're not content, because this is the life that he's given to us. And so it's a personal affront to him to say, I'm not happy with what you've given to me. You know, what do you feel like when your kids complain about their life? Are you like, oh, well, I'm so sorry that the life that I've given you isn't good enough. You know, that's how we feel and that's how God feels too. And so the next time that we're tempted to complain or feel discontent, what we really need to ask ourselves is, who is responsible for the situation that I'm in? Maybe it's a result of our own actions. So maybe we need to complain about what we've done to get ourselves in this situation. Maybe that's the thing. And if that's the case, then instead of complaining, we need to repent and go to God and ask for mercy and ask him to give us direction, right? Because there are times when we're in a situation that is just bad. But we need to think about it for a minute and see, maybe I'm the cause of this. Maybe I'm in this situation because this is the natural consequence of the actions that I've been taking. Let me read you a verse that pertains to that. This is Lamentations three thirty-seven through 41. Who is he who speaks and it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded it? So he's saying, who can make something happen if God hasn't already commanded it? 
Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that woe and well-being proceed? Why should a living man complain, a man for the punishment of his own sins? Let us search out and examine our ways and turn back to the Lord. Let us lift our hearts and our hands to God in heaven. So he's saying, hey, why are you complaining about the punishment for your own sins? Instead, examine your ways and notice that this is all because of the situation you're in and turn back to God and lift your heart and hands to him and ask him to help. So that's the first thing we need to do. When we're discontent with the situation that we're in and we're tempted to complain, the first thing we need to do, if it's a result of our own actions, then stop complaining, repent, go to God, ask for mercy, and ask for direction, and then follow him. But if it isn't within our control, then we know that it's under God's authority, right? And so then when we complain about something that God is responsible for, then we're complaining against him. We're saying we're not satisfied with what he's given us. We're accusing him of being a bad father that doesn't give good things to his children. How dare we? How dare we? If this is a situation that God's placed us in, if it's completely and totally out of our control, then God is sovereign over that. He knows what's going on and he has us in that place for some purpose because God loves his children and he would never do evil to us. Even if it feels evil to us, maybe it's a consequence, right, for our evil actions. But it's not being done to us because God is evil. Let me read you a couple of verses pertaining to that. Matthew 7, 9 to 11. What man is there among you who, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks him for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? God is a good God. And if we won't give bad things to our kids, He won't give bad things to us. Now, do our kids feel like that sometimes? Do our kids complain about the life that they've been given? Do they complain whenever they're punished? Yeah. But that doesn't mean we're not right. It doesn't mean we're giving bad things to them. It's the same thing with our God. James 1.17 Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So everything that's good and perfect comes from God, our Father who loves us. And so if we're in a situation that we don't like and we have absolutely no control over that situation, we did nothing to deserve it, then we need to understand that God is a good God He's a good father and he's not going to give us bad gifts. And so what we have, we need to be thankful for. So instead of being angry and complaining to others, we need to take our complaints to God. We need to take our discontentment, if we still feel that, to God. And then when we're talking directly to him, we're going to be much more thankful and respectful, right? Our words are going to be requests instead of complaints. So that verse, Matthew uh, 7, 9 through 11, says, you know, he will give good gifts to those who ask him. So instead of just grumbling and complaining and griping and, you know, I just have such a horrible life and I don't have any of the things that I want. Instead of being angry and complaining about that, go to God and just say, you know, these are the desires that I have and ask him, knowing that 
just as a parent, when a child asks us for something, we're not going to give them something bad in return. So God's going to listen to us. He's going to care for us. And he's going to give us what is best for us. Last couple of verses. Psalm 142, 1 and 2. I cry out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord, I will make supplication. I pour out my complaints before him. I declare before him all my trouble. So that's what he wants from us. Cry out to the Lord. Ask him to supply you with the things that you are wanting. Pour out your complaints to him and declare all of the troubles that you're going through to him. God wants a relationship with us. He wants us to come to him. You know, he wanted the Israelites to say, I'm so sick of this manna, but I know that you're about to bring me into this place of milk and honey and I just have to hold on. So God, help me hold on. Help me be content with what I have. Remind me how good this food tastes, that it's like a sweet pastry and that you give it to me every morning and I don't have to work hard for it. Remind me of what I had in Egypt and don't let me wish I was there. That's absurd. Strengthen me. That's a prayer that God is going to hear and he's going to help us. And then the last one, Philippians 4, 6 to 13. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Finally, brothers, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, If there is any virtue and if there's anything worth praising, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, do these, and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need. For I've learned in whatever state I'm in to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I've learned both to be full and hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So what a wonderful verse to end on, right? Don't be anxious. Pray about everything. Be thankful. Bring your request to God so that his peace can guard your hearts and your minds. What does that look like? What does it look like whenever the peace that makes no sense, it says the kind that surpasses all understanding. The the Israelites weren't supposed to feel peaceful, not in a worldly sense. That is a bad situation to be in, right? No one wants to have to eat the same thing all day long for months and months on end. But if they would have made their request known to God, then the peace that makes no sense would guard their heart and their minds, meaning it would it would cover their feelings and their thoughts and help them to think of the good things and the right things. And then it says, you know, these are the things that you're supposed to think about. And then it lists all of those things. Paul is explaining to them, hey, I've learned how to be content when I have a lot and when I don't have much. 
learned that I can do anything when God gives me strength. So ask God for that. That's the lesson that we need to learn from them. Don't complain. Don't grumble. Don't follow the ways of this world. Set your mind on good things, on godly things. Remind yourself of him and ask him for the things you need. Look to him for your wants and your needs so that he can take care of you, right? Those are the things that we need to do. So that's all I have for this week. Next week, we will cover the middle section of Numbers 11. So make sure that you subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. Leave me a five-star review and comments wherever you're listening. You can also find my email at livethroughjesus.com. And don't forget to go over to the website and sign up for weekly email updates. And also follow me on all social media at Live Through Jesus. Thanks and have a good day.